Hello, this is Michael Stone, the host of Conversations. We're committed to bringing you leading-edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. On our program, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Greetings, everyone. This is Michael Stone, the host of Conversations. And my guest today, well, my guest today is me. I was recording Kyle Cease, and we had some breakdowns in the equipment. So I've been thinking for quite some time that it would be really lovely to just spend some time talking with you. We've been, uh, we're in our 15th or 16th year, I can't remember which, of doing conversations. And I thought it would be nice just to talk and connect. I'm really grateful for, I know there's a lot of regular listeners out there, like John and Deborah and Heidi and Michael. And I'm sorry, I can't remember all, everyone's name, but I love hearing from you. Well, to start out with, anyone who would like to have someone on the show that they think would be a fit for conversations, you should just write me at Michael at Well of Light. That's W-E-L-L-O-F-L-I-G-H-T dot com. And let me know any ideas you have for the show. I'm actually thinking of changing the name of the show after 16 years. I haven't figured out what it should be. One of the things I was thinking of was We Earth Radio Hour. Why such a weird name? Because all the work that I've been doing for all many, many years, decades, is to try to connect and to connect people and recognize that separation is a myth, it's a lie. And it is at the heart of all the suffering that we experience in the world even when it looks like, well, that's real suffering, somewhere at the heart of it, there was money or some other kind of suffering that caused those refugees, that caused that genocide, that caused whatever it was that happened. And so most of the guests that I have on the show, I have on the show because uh, they're people who connect people, connect people to themselves, connect people to each other, and connect people to the larger web of life. So conversations could have been called connections, but I was specifically focusing on environmental sustainability when I started this show and regeneration and spirituality, spiritual fulfillment, and social and environmental justice have been the issues, the topics, which I've found many, many people, amazing people and really so thrilled to be able to do this. You know, every week I get a new book to read and then I get to talk to the author about what, you know, what they wrote. How cool is that? It's really been awesome. And I'm so grateful for your support. And another thing up front, I'll tell you just about supporting. This show has always been out of my pocket. This time 
It would be lovely to have people, if you get value out of it, to support it. One of the ways to do that is to go to patreon.com conversations with Michael Stone, or you can go to Well of Light PayPal, or you can just uh, send something to Michael at welloflight.com. We really do appreciate there's a budget here just like there is at KVMR. It would be it would be wonderful to receive. I'm always so excited when I get a check or somebody signs up as a patron. Just to say those things out front. And then some issues I wanted to talk about with all the craziness around COVID-19 right now and the fear and the real pain that people are experiencing. I wanted to, first of all, say how saddened I am by the people who have lost their life and and are sick. So many people that are struggling. I don't want to undermine that. Yes, that's really happening. And uh, my heart and prayers go out to you in this time of great change. And at the same time, I feel personally that this is such an amazing time that Perhaps many of us have been expecting for, I know I expected it back in the 60s, like something like this would happen. What's really interesting about the virus is that it's an enemy where everyone, seven and a half billion people are all connected because of this external virus. You know, we talk about social distancing. I don't feel like we're social distancing at all. I think we're physically distancing, but there's a lot of connecting going on. First of all, many of us are on lockdown. All of us just about are on lockdown in some way or another. So we get to be with ourselves and slow down a little bit. And hopefully you're slowing down and not using it for watching Netflix or, which is fine. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but um, I know for me, my meditation time has gone up quite a bit from uh, a half an hour to basically two to four hours a day at this point. Uh, And I find that that's really important because we don't know what's coming next. And anything we could say would just be a guess. But if we still ourselves and really look at what's essential and what's important for us, I think we can really learn a lot. First of all, when we start to meditate, and I know many of you are meditators that listen to this show, I don't mean that you're not meditating, but I just wanna point to the power of stillness and stilling ourselves in a time of uncertainty. It's really an opportunity to embrace uncertainty, one of the essential precepts of quantum physics, but also of the Tao and ancient mystical traditions is um, embracing uncertainty. So when we sit in meditation, we hear a lot of noise that we don't usually hear. A lot of things are coming up. It drives people often away because they feel like, oh, I'm not getting anywhere. Well, in meditation, there's actually nowhere to get to other than here. So we practice presencing ourselves, bringing ourselves into the moment, what's happening right now in this moment and what's arising. And what happens when we meditate is we create more inner spaciousness. 
So the stress and the anxiety, which is a product of too much. We say stress, but what is stress? It's like saying, I'm sick. And when you say I'm sick, well, do you have a cold or do you have stage four terminal cancer? It doesn't really say anything. The same thing with stress. And yet we say stress is at the heart of 60 to 90% of all illness is stress related. But we don't really have a good definition for stress. But stress means something is too much and my capacity to hold that too muchness is overwhelmed. So I can't right now deal with it because it's just too much. So meditation is what creates space. It opens us. It allows us to feel more interior spaciousness. It allows us to calm our nervous system. It allows us to breathe. It allows us to be in the moment rather than worrying about the imagined future, which we really have little control over, or the remembered past. Now, those things can come up in meditation, but they come up in the present and they come up to be digested. So let's talk about fear because there's a lot of fear with the COVID-19. Fear is coming up for a lot of people and we think that we're afraid of the virus or of getting sick or something like that. But in actuality, when we slow down and look, we see that what we're afraid of is almost never what we're really being afraid of. It's something from the past. It's an unwitting reminder of events, usually in the first seven years of our life, where we had a situation that was too much, that uh, was threatening. And so in order to keep on going, say in the family, when we're getting yelled at, or, or worse, abuse of any kind, we shut down a part of ourselves. We shut down our ability to feel fully. And you notice so many people have trouble just discerning what their feelings are. They may have two feelings, anger or sadness. And once in a while, a little joy might sneak out. But we, we don't have a full palette because we have so, much, so many parts of us that are dissociated, are pushed down. So many parts that we didn't want to deal with. And it's actually our body's intelligence that did that. My teacher, Thomas Hubel, calls them childhood friends. So when we meditate, these things that weren't processed, that weren't digested, come up for us. And we think that they're in the way of our meditation. Oh, I'm really trying to meditate, but my thoughts and my fears keep coming up and getting in the way. No, they aren't getting in the way. They are the way. So when fear comes up or when any strong emotion comes up or memory comes up, what there is to do is lean into and be with that. Allow yourself to actually be present with that which is arising. And when we're present with what arising, it has space to breathe and it can let go. You can recover so much energy if you can just be with these things, because it takes a huge amount of energy to keep these suppressed parts of ourselves, 
suppress parts about how we relate to each other, fears of all kinds, how we are with money, how we are with men or women. We have all these stories that we're locked into. And so this time right now is such a, a beautiful time to really tap in to that place of inner stillness, that place of quiet. And you begin to, everything settles down, the nervous system relaxes, and you can feel the spaciousness. Just right now with me, just take a deep breath. And at the top of the breath, you feel that pause, and then the release. And then at the bottom of the out breath, feel that release, that stillness. Mostly we're moving so fast, we don't feel that. So breath is such an important part of dealing with the fears and the anxiety that are coming up right now for us. If you can just take a few breaths when you're feeling stressed, that alone will help. But really developing a meditation practice is fundamental to healing our old wounding. Now, when I say healing, people often hear that like something's wrong or something's broken. And that's not what I mean by healing. What I mean by healing is wholeness, creating wholeness. So we create wholeness by allowing all the parts of us to be present. So first of all, there's the body. And the body is our primary instrument. It is what we're born into. We take our first breath, and our breath is a cycle that's with us till our last breath. And in that time, we build our structure. What does it mean to be me? What does it mean to be a human being? And if we had a safe structure as a child, let's say we had a mother and a father that were really attentive to us. And then we would go out and we would experience, we go out into the world and we experience, oh, oh, look, fire. Oh, that's hot. I run back and I go, oh, daddy, hot. And, and yeah. And then we go out a little more and we, ex we, we explore, you know, we're three or four and we go, oh, we come back because something's scary. And oh, daddy, I'm scared. I'm scared. Now, if daddy says, okay, I got it. You're scared. It's okay to be scared. Then we integrate and we digest that fear. But if we go out and we get scared and we run back and daddy says, there's nothing to be scared about. Grow up. You're, you don't need to be scared. It's just your imagination. Well, then we don't get to digest the experience of fear. So we stuff it down. So later on, we start meditating at 30 or 40 or 50, and we go, oh, there's that, that familiar fear. And we can find an age to that fear. We can say, oh, I wonder what the age is of that fear. Is that a current fear or is that, oh, that was when I was, it feels like five, like me being five years old. What happened at five? Oh, yeah, I got scared and nobody hurt and would listen to me or my parents got divorced, or whatever it was that happened. So then we can embrace and love that child that at that time had that fear and went, oh, it's, you know, 
uh, it's okay. As an adult, I can, I can say it's okay. It's okay to have that fear. You know, I'm here. I've grown up and I'm, I'm here for you. Because we have to self-parent ourselves. if we didn't get that kind of parent. And almost none of us got, you know, there were no perfect parents. What I learned about being parent is there was no manual at all. And it was trial and error. And mostly what I did was either trying to be the opposite of what my father did or do the same. And so, but this is the healing process that happens as we, as we really begin to meditate. That's one thing that I wanted to just share about. And I'll tell you one thing that's available to you, that every weekday morning at 9 a.m., I have a half hour meditation, a guided meditation that I do. And I have a group of people, we just presence ourselves on Zoom and we get to be together and have a container for whatever wants to arise to arise. And every day I have a different theme based on what's happening in the group. And then at the end we get back together and it's a half hour, about a 20 minute meditation, guided meditation. And if you'd like to participate, it's very easy. Just go to welloflight.com and right on the homepage at the hop top of the homepage, you can click on sign up for the every weekday meditation. We call it a 21 day challenge because I'm on my second 21 days now. I just wanted to share that with you because it's a tool that can really help you. For instance, this morning we did it on boundaries. One woman at the end said, I just feel like I've had a whole six month course on boundaries in this one meditation. It's really powerful for people who are practicing and we love having you join us. So again, welloflight.com. And you can go to welloflight.com and just sign up and join us any morning you like. So when we're meditating or practicing stillness or contemplation, we want to look at these things that arise not as the enemy or that something is wrong. Something's wrong with me, something's wrong with them, something's wrong with the world. No, it's just a guest. And I invite you to really honor the guest, invite the guest in. I love Rumi's, Rumi has a great poem. He says, this being human is a guest house. Every moment, every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of all its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful or whatever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. I love that poem. I love Rumi, as some of you know. But um, yeah, treating everything, everything that knocks at our door as a guest. Another thing I wanted to talk about is meditation itself. 
I, by the way, I don't have a plan here, um, just um, rambling on. So I hope it's valuable for you. So one of the things we're looking for in meditation is to find coherence. Coherence between what? Between our physical body, our mental thoughts, our emotional feelings, and also our relational intimacy. I, I, I put a fourth leg on there. It's like a table with three legs isn't very steady. The reality is that we are always co-creating our reality. It's interesting, we think that we perceive reality, but actually reality is our perception. And so when we can understand and look beneath what we, what we see and we think is real out there, we begin to deconstruct a lot of debilitating beliefs and habitual patterns that arise throughout our, our development years. Let's talk about, first of all, the body. You've heard me mention before, having worked in the corporate world, I had this uh, sense that I was with heads on sticks, that only reason people had bodies was to carry their head to the next meeting. And it kind of felt like that. And yet, the more I'm with people, and the more I'm with myself, I realize we're pretty disembodied as a species. I was watching a deer run the other day, and it was so magnificent that every muscle, every movement, that you could tell there was a, a total body awareness in the movement and the jumping and the running of, of this deer. It was so amazing. And I thought, whoa, what if we were embodied like that? If we were actually in our body? In the James Joyce uh, novel, Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body. Many of us live, live more than just a short distance from our body. Uh, the first thing to, to recognize is we have a body. Now, we're not our body. I mean, I have a hand, but I'm not my hand. And we have a body, but we're not we're our body. But our body is our receiver, our instrument in life. And so it's really important to practice being in your body. As you're talking to me right now, do you feel your feet? Breathe into that. Do you feel your legs? What kind of movement is happening in your legs? Do you feel your pelvis and your hips? Your belly? Your diaphragm? How does your body change as you breathe? All these amazing things are going on. All these systems, the respiratory system, the digestive system, the nervous system, the waste system, elimination. Think if you had to try to run this this machine it isn't the machine, actually. It's one of the things that is very clear. In physics, they call it the hard problem. What's the hard problem? Basically, the hard problem is how can a, how can a piece of meat have consciousness? How can something material have something immaterial coming from it? 
And it's, it, it, there is no evidence in science anywhere that has been able to prove the question, to answer that question of how does something physical have consciousness? So part of what happens when we get into our body, we begin to develop an ability to be a witness. So first we presence ourselves in meditation in any contemplative way. So we're presencing, we bring ourselves into a state of presence. We use the breath to do that. We use our intention, our will to do that. And we bring ourselves into this state of being in a body and feeling the energy moving in our body. And then we notice that we're having thoughts. But are we our thoughts? No, not any more than we're our body, but we have thoughts. But who is it that's observing the thoughts that we're having? We move from presencing to witnessing. We begin to witness our physical movement, our thoughts, and then we want to grasp on and we get sucked into our story, our thoughts. She did this because, I did this because, you did this to me, I'm a victim. We don't say we're a victim, we just say that someone did something to us. And then there's the emotions and we can witness them. And the fourth part, relational intimacy. I'm co-creating. Mostly our listening is about skin deep. We're not very good listeners. It's a practice. Whole body listening is very different than hearing the words. And we think we listen, but really, for the most part, we don't. We're either preparing our rebuttal or we're saying, uh, I don't agree with that. And here's what I think. Or we're triggered from some past event or reminded of something. Oh, last week with my uncle, we were having a barbecue and, oh, what were you saying? So to create a state of presence, to witness yourself in relationship to other, to witness your emotions and be able to name them. Can you name what you're feeling right now? <laughs> I just thought, oh, they're feeling bored. <laughs> That's my thought that I'm having. So I noticed that. What, about, what am I feeling about that? Well, behind that feeling is a little bit of fear that you won't like me or you won't accept me. And I can look at that fear. I can witness it. I can embrace it. And then, oh, oh. Now, I can also look at what age is that fear? Hmm. You won't like me. That feels like about five. Yeah, I'm actually remembering an incident of someone at the beach, another child that didn't want to play with me. I'm sure there are others, but that's one that comes up. So I think, oh, oh. So somewhere back there, I didn't get 
the attention that I wanted or needed. And probably there was something before that. But what do I do? I can say, Michael, I was, I was Mickey as a child. I said, Mickey, it's okay. It's okay. I'm here for you now. You, you know, I love you. And you don't need to get that from somewhere else. I can love you now. And we accept that. And you can feel there's just a spaciousness, an opening that happens when you do that. It's like, oh, that feels good. I feel space. One of the intentions of meditation is that I'm fully embodied, that I can feel my feelings and discern my feelings, that I can quiet my mind or observe my mind when it's like wild stallions running loose. And I can be related. I can actually see myself seeing you, seeing me. Wow, what an amazing thing. If you see me in you, seeing you, suddenly there's a kind of, um, a kind of connection that we're not used to having. It can be scary. It can be very scary. I remember one time I was with Sonia, my wife at the time, and, and uh, we were doing crazy things. We we're cleaning the house with toothbrushes. We were insane. And we were going through this program of impeccability. And we would do these things called be with. And so I sat down and she sat down on a pillow and we would do a be with. And we would just sit there and actually just look in each other's eyes, just be there and look in each other's eyes. And breathe. This is a wonderful exercise to do with your partner, particularly, you know, partners are where we can really learn and grow. And so we were just looking at each other and all of a sudden, we had the same experience at the same time. I experienced being in her eyes, looking in my face, and she experienced being in my eyes, looking in her face. We were so fully connected that there was a transference and it scared us. We jumped off the pillow both at the same time and says, what was that? I have to say, I've been looking for situations like that ever since. No, nothing has ever been quite that profound, but that it happened is to know it's possible to find our edges in that. Because in relationship, we find out where our edges are, the edges of our story, who we think we are. So we all have a story. And it's a story that's been developed. Some of it's handed down through ancestors. Some of it's familial. And much of it is from our experience and what the culture says is how we should be. In fact, much of it is embedded in our language and our institutions. And we've reached the, the end of our ability to really relate deeply in the language that we have, unfortunately. Why? Because, why? Because of to be verbs. To be is, am, I, um, uh, be, being, 
are all of those to be verbs cause us to collapse into a state of separation. I'm here, you're there, it's there, it's this way, you're that way. And so our language really gets in the way, which is, again, why it's important to be with the energy that you feel. And yes, name it, but know that that isn't it. That's only pointing to it from what we already know. You know, there's the conscious mind and the unconscious mind, right? The unconscious mind is basically a tape recorder that's recorded every single thing that's happened since the beginning of your life. And much of it has been, I call it the remembered past because it isn't necessarily the past. If you have siblings and you share an experience that happened when you were seven or 10 or five, and they said, that isn't how that happened. They have a completely different view. It's a remembered past, but it shapes our present. And until we bring consciousness to it, it has a hold on us. It's habitual. It shapes everything we do and say. And so this whole idea of uh, separation is so embedded in our way of being, also in our institutions, in our financial economic system, and certainly in our environmental system. That's one of the beauties of quantum physics. It's a completely new language. That's why I love the relationship between quantum physics and the mystics, because Three of the key things in quantum physics that I think are fascinating is one is inseparability, what I've been talking about. Nothing is separate and everything affects everything else. That's a basic tenet of quantum physics. And it can do it at long distances without being connected. So inseparability is what the mystics have always said that everything in life, everything, they talk about the web of life, everything is connected to everything and affects everything else. The second one is uncertainty. So we live in a vast field of infinite potential. But the minute we name it, or we observe it inside of this story that we live in, we have in quantum physics, they call it a wave collapse. Now that's the way that is. That's the way she is. That's the way he is. And it takes away the vast potentiality. That's how I am. When I say I'm not good with people, or I say that I'm not good with money, or or by the same token, I'm a really good race car driver, I'm a really good engineer, or whatever we close the potential. Even saying, I'm an engineer, shuts things down. Well, what about all the other things you are? A father, you know, a mother, a person who loves her dog, a caretaker, a person of service, you know, so many, so many other things. You get the point I'm, I'm saying though. 
So uncertainty, and one of the things in terms of potentiality is our need to be objective. Like there is an is world out there. I can see this is world. Remember I said that we think that what we perceive is reality, but actually reality is what we perceive. We are shaping reality at every second and every moment. But we think we live in an objective world. The Newtonian Cartesian science says we're objects in a world of objects. It's deterministic. It's mechanistic. We're machines. We aren't machines. Really, we aren't machines. Again, the hard problem in science. To recognize that we live in a subjective world and our perception is creating everything is like, whoa, okay. Well, what does that do, let's say, to stress? If I'm a perfectionist and I'm trying to get it right all the time, I'm creating enormous amount of stress and struggle. And I'm chasing after something. I wanna make something happen and I know the way I want. One of the issues that's really interesting is the difference between reacting and responding. Mostly we're reacting. Responding is to look again to, to respond, pause, respond. What is the way that is consistent with who I am and see myself and want to see myself? How do I respond to something like that? So to, to recognize that it's a subjective and not an objective world, we then open a vast world of possibility and potentiality that we've closed off when we think it's an objective world. It allows us to be more creative in the moment. It allows us to let go of struggle, let go of having to have outcome. Do we set an intention? Yes, intention is super powerful. Of course we set an intention. But then what if we let go of the results and make room for something maybe even more amazing and fantastic to show up? That's where we are right now. And so to get back to talking about COVID-19, you know, there's this possibility of really having a world that works for everyone and everything with no one and nothing left out. Are you opening to imagining that? Are you open to imagining that? Really? Someone sent me a video the other day of an engineer who some of his welder friends decided to teach him a lesson. And they took a bicycle and they made gears in the bicycle in, in the front. So the way it turned, it was a regular bicycle. The only thing was that when you turned to the right, the bicycle went left. And when you turned to the left, the bicycle went right. Now that seems like, well, I can, I can, I learned how to ride a bike. I can do that. Well, it took this, eight, this very smart engineer eight months before he could actually steer that bicycle and not fall over. 
eight months of regular practice. And then you can look this up, you know, backwards bicycle on the internet. It's, it's amazing. And then when he went to ride a regular bicycle that he hadn't ridden in eight months, it took him two months to relearn how to ride a regular bicycle. Now, why do I share that with you? Because that's what happens with neural pathways. And this is why I just really encourage and invite you to take on a meditation practice. Begin to allow yourself to deconstruct and notice the habitual thought and actions that we have and try doing things differently and see how challenging that is. So these things are very much embedded, but when we meditate, we can actually be with them and lessen the hold that they have on our behavior. So let's look at the bigger picture. What does that mean in terms of the big picture? Well, suddenly most of the wars have stopped. The environment has cleared up. My God, there's dolphins haven't swum in the canals of Venice for probably a hundred years. They're having a great old time. The CO2 pollution, the main greenhouse gas has been reduced in North America, I think by 50% since the beginning of the COVID accident. In Hunan, where the original outbreak was of the virus, they can see the skies. Oh, and in India, they can see the Himalayas for the first time in 30 years. When we get still, things come back, you know, nature it renews itself. And that's the same with you. And that's also the same with psychological issues. Let's say I have a cut on my finger. If I leave that cut alone, it's gonna heal. But if I tend to pick at it and pull at it, not only is it never gonna heal, but it's gonna get worse and it's gonna cause it to get you know, infected and then maybe lose the finger. But it's the same thing with these things we keep trying to fix about ourselves. We keep picking at them, we keep fixing them. Change does not come from trying to be something other than the way we are. Change happens by allowing and being present to the way things are, which creates the condition for real change to occur. So when we're looking at the big picture in the world, when we're actually opening to the state of the world in our meditation with the intention of a deeper connection with ourself, which is the world and the world, which is us, that intention is so strong. It is magnified so greatly with that intention because most other people are running in circles. They're not clearly focused. They aren't creating the conditions for change. They're more preoccupied with shopping, watching Netflix, or whatever the preoccupation is, usually around some kind of consumption. We're not designed to be consumers. We're actually designed to be givers. St. Francis said, 
It's in giving that we receive. Are you willing to give yourself to the sacred other, to open your most authentic heartfelt self, to speak your truth when no one else is in agreement? I say this time is the time that we were born for, that we've been waiting for. We have a pause in the machine. And a very small, less than 1%, maybe one-tenth of 1% are driving the machine. If seven and a half billion people said no more, we won't play this game anymore. When we honor the commons, that the air and the water and everything belongs to everyone. And when we honor the earth as not a resource, it's not a resource. There are living beings, trees. Rocks hold the memory of our ancestors. The earth is our ancestors. We are all stardust. And that's not just some kind of romantic thinking. Now, you may believe that we can't fight the establishment. Well, I'm saying don't fight the establishment. But fight for your own life. You were born essentially good. You and I were born with essential goodness. All of us were. And that got usurped by greed, by, by need, by all kinds of neuroses. We live in a neurotic world. We put money ahead of life. We destroy our own habitat that feeds us, that clothes us. That's kind of crazy, don't you think? No, we don't think. We have a lot of thoughts, but there's a big difference between thinking and having thoughts. And we can't think when our cup is too full. Our cup is full. Meditation and mindfulness are the ways that we empty the cup. So I want to invite you to join us in our meditation at nine o'clock on every weekday morning. Again, go to welloflight.com and just click on right at the top of the home page and join us join us for the morning meditation we spend some time being with each other yes it's virtual but we can actually connect virtually as i said social distancing is not the right it's actually physical distancing we're socially connecting and there's a huge rise in awareness that's happening in the world right now. 
we're recognizing how connected we are. The virus has leveled the playing field. So join us for meditation or do your own meditation, but find that place in you that is still. Learn to be with those things that cause you suffering and pain. Don't push them away. Invite the guests in. Welcome the guests. Thank you for being here. Welcome. It's not a good or bad, just like emotions. There's no good emotions and bad emotions. We think, oh, I want to have joy and compassion, but I wanna, don't want to have grief and anger and sadness. But each of them are amazing teachers. Life is an amazing teacher. So that's my wrap today. Um, I'm kind of glad that my interview with Kyle Cease didn't uh, work out. We'll do that in a couple of weeks, but um, it's really good to connect with you. Drop me a line. Let me know what you think of conversations and how we could serve you. I'm here to be of service. So uh, if you were hiring me, what would you like me to bring to the radio, to our conversations? please do let me know. Michael at welloflight.com. Michael at welloflight.com. And let me know what we could do to improve the show. So good to be with you. Let's just end this with a minute of stillness. Just taking a moment to stop. If you're in the car, just pull over. And feel your feet on the floor. And just notice the simplicity of just being here, being in a body. We're bringing our attention inward. like looking through a microscope, you zero in and notice the energy in the body. Just feel the movement. Notice how you're being breathed. And what changes in your body as you breathe in Pause and release outward. Notice the spaciousness within as you get to the top of the breath and the bottom of the exhale. Just notice. And feel with all your senses. Open up your sense of hearing. Listen for the quietest sound. Mm. 
Notice your sense of smell, taste. Your inner vision, your felt sense. And just linger in the body for a moment. Feeling what's alive. And perhaps there might be some places that are numb or you experience pain, just it's all information. It doesn't mean anything in particular, just notice. And take another moment to just notice what you're feeling right now. Can you feel your feelings? Do you welcome them? And can you locate them in the body? Whatever you're feeling, see if it's got a corresponding place in the body. You can feel the sensation of it. Or notice that you can't really feel right now or that you have multiple feelings. Or perhaps there's a sense of numbness. It's perfect just as it is. And notice the mind. And just watch the thoughts as they come and go. Notice the tendency to grasp on or to add to the story. Perhaps your mind is really still and quiet. Or maybe it's like wild stallions kicking up dust. And just let that go and get a sense of how related you feel to the external world, to other people, to nature, the elements. On a scale of relational intimacy, one to 10, what are you feeling right now? Your sense of being connected to the world. Perhaps notice what's missing that you'd like to call in to your life, to open to, to intend. And then just let go of all that and come back and just pay attention to 
how you're feeling right now. That's just two or three minutes. So good to be with you today. Much love. Bye for now. Conversations is an independently produced program supported by KVMR 89.5 Nevada City and listener contributions. We are committed to bringing you leading-edge thinking in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or order any of our past shows, go to our website at arewelistening.net.